brave souls. Welcome. Is this the voice of God? I am Mini Podcasts. Bring your podcast closer so that I might join with it. Excuse me? Excuse me. What does God mean with a podcast? Who is this creature? Don't you know? Aren't you God? You doubt me? Here's the proof you seek. Why is God angry? You? I just want to listen to the fan holes. A pop culture podcast made by the fans. For the fans. Now, give me what I want. said zap effect hey guys welcome back to another spacetastic episode of fan holes podcast hey what's up guys this is derek derek wc i am going to be your captain on this journey tonight and i am joined by my two fellow crewmen on this journey tonight so why don't you guys give a shout out and let everybody know who's here Hey, it's Mike, and oh, I just got shot. I'm a red shirt. <laughs> hey, this is Justin, and I am attempting to replicate a marshmallow. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> awesome. So, in case you guys haven't figured it out, it is 2016. It is the 50th anniversary of the franchise known as Star Trek. So, we are all excited and aflutter, and we're ready to talk some fun Star Trek stuff tonight. Partly, this is going to be a celebration and talkback of the new feature film, Star Trek Beyond, that's going to be released July 22nd, 2016, which you should be listening to this podcast right around that time frame. But before we get into our coverage of Star Trek Beyond, our good buddy Justin suggested a very special Star Trek comic book story that we should all check out. And I got to say, dude, props to you, because this is like one of the most fun stories I've read in a long time. So thank you for suggesting it. And it is going to be Star Trek The Q Gambit, which ran through issues 35 to 40 of IDW's ongoing Star Trek series. And I guess what I'll do is I'll read a quick synopsis that I cobbled together from various sources that kind of covers all the, um, the, the story arc and everything, and then we can discuss it. Um, but I guess I would just preface this with all I really knew about this story before I started was my man Justin said, hey, dudes, you should check out this Q Gambit thing. And... I was like, well, what's the Q Gambit? And he was kind of like, well, you know, it's like Q from The Next Generation, but he's going to, like, hang out with the crew from the New Trek universe. And I went, oh, that sounds pretty sweet. So I was all on board for it and everything. But I was kind of shocked and surprised at how many portions of the Star Trek universe this story actually touched. So I'm just going to say up front now, I mean, it, it kind of goes without saying in general, but... If you want to be as surprised as I was, and if you know nothing about this story, stop listening, go read the Q Gambit, and then come back from this point on, because from this point on, we're totally spoiling everything. So, 
just fair warning. And I, I you know, I just I, I had some joyful glee at being surprised while reading a comic book story for once. So I don't want to uh, snatch that away from anybody who might have the same joy and experience of being surprised at certain reveals and appearances by Star Trek characters. So maybe maybe we should get one spoiler out of the way. After the end of the first part, Captain Kirk looks at the camera and says, "Hail Hydra." <laughs> Uh, all right here we go the q gambit from writer mike johnson and penciler tony shastine the q gambit begins here the crew of the new star trek film franchise encounters the classic trek villain q for the first time only in this all-new six-part galaxy-spanning adventure developed in association with screenwriter-producer Roberto Orki. The extra-dimensional being known as Q arrives in the new timeline caused by the Elder Spock's pursuit of Nero as seen in the 2009 Star Trek film. Intrigued by Captain Kirk's failure to accept no-win scenarios, Q decides to put him in the middle of one and transports the Enterprise several decades into the future of the new timeline. There we see that history has unfolded along a different path. The Federation has fallen, and the Dominion is in charge of the space station once known as Deep Space Nine. It is a dark future indeed, with the Dominion in the middle of a brutal war with the Klingon Empire for control of the Alpha Quadrant. Now Kirk and his new ally, Benjamin Sisko, retreat to a secure Klingon colony, which turns out to be the planet Earth itself. While Kirk and his ally, Ben Sisko, find themselves in precarious situations on the Klingon colony of Earth, Spock and McCoy receive unexpected help from frontier doctor Julian Bashir and the freedom fighter Kira Norris. The Dominion have assumed control of most of the Alpha Quadrant, including Earth, after the Founders assassinate the Klingon High Chancellor, Worf. Only a small band of rebels continues to resist Dominion control, but all will be lost if the mad Cardassian Dukat's ultimate scheme succeeds to wrest the power of the Pa Wraiths for himself and become the ultimate power in the universe. Escaping from the insane Cardassian, Kirk and Spock join forces with resistance leader Ben Sisko and finally discover the motivation behind Q's meddling. He needs their help to stop the threat of the Paw Wraiths that could bring about the end of the Q continuum itself. So that is the long and short of what the Q Gambit is about. And I suppose now we can get into like the, the nitty gritty details and everything and kind of what we, we thought of the story. I, I guess for me, again, uh, repeating my thanks to my fellow fanhole Justin for suggesting this. I thought this was awesome. Like, I love this. This was great. And I wasn't. I wasn't expecting to see any of the Deep Space Nine characters, and it was really, really fun. I mean, I, I thought it was, I don't know, I was like super excited. It was like a team-up I didn't know was going to happen, and it, it seemed to almost, to me, I, I wasn't expecting it at all, so it sort of came out of nowhere, and I was surprised, and it was really, really fun. So I, I loved this. Um, I think the Deep Space Nine like tie-in things were spoiled for me, because when this first like came out... um. I think I saw some article about it 
and I saw like Kirk like talking with Cisco, and I was like, oh, that seems cool, but I never read it. So I think I was expecting that to happen. Okay. So like that was kind of spoiled for me. But no, you're right though. This was a totally fun, like totally, and it's like I'm obviously not as big a Star Trek fan as like you guys, but this was like totally in my like you know my corner of the universe like i've you know all it touched on things i was totally familiar with like thanks to you guys because you guys made me watch deep space nine and all that <laughs> and yeah like i I was never lost and i i had a lot of fun reading it so what about you justin like what were your original thoughts and like were, were you reading star trek ongoing like month to month yeah i've been reading it on a month-to-month basis since issue one and you know, for the most part, it's been pretty good. You know, sometimes they'll do their own version of an original series episode, but, you know, like with a twist. Right, right. Or, you know, they'll do something original. And for the most part, it's been pretty enjoyable. So, like, when I saw this coming, you know, I was like, well, cool. Like, uh, you know, Q is one of my favorite villains. I was like, this this should be fun. And then, you know, at the end of that first issue, we, we see Deep Space Nine. And I was like, whoa, like is this for real? Like, and then I was like, well, is this, you know, is this going to be like the deep space nine of like the Abrams verse or like some other thing? Like I, I was like, I can't wait to read, you know, the next issue of, of this. And like, I, I really like that feeling. And I think that's something that's missing. Like these days, it's like, you know, not only reading a comic and being surprised, but like the anticipation of like the next issue, like that's kind of a, um, a feeling I, I think like at least for me like I don't get very often I'm usually like you know whatever whatever it is whether it's like you know Justice League or you know New Avengers or, or whatever I'm just like okay I read it okay now I'm done what's you know what am I reading next like um, I'm hardly like in anticipation of like the next next issue and I really like that and I kind of I, I felt that whole experience with these six issues every time one ended i was like man i can't wait to see what happens next this is definitely a, a real page turner as they like to say because i basically the the last time i had read the ongoing idw series was when we were doing the last star trek podcast that we did on fan holes and i had read up to about issue 24 of the idw ongoing and i was telling justin hey you know this will give me an excuse to catch up i'll, I'll read the issues in between, you know, leading up to the Q gambit. And like Justin's saying, there's a few that, that, you know, deal with replications of original stories or callbacks to stuff like that. But I think by this point, you know, most of them were, were either fairly original or, you know, they, they featured, you know, alien races and stuff from the original series, but didn't exactly try to retell, you know, original TV episodes, stories and everything like that. And, you know, some of them are, you know, simple two-parters and some of them are pretty good. And some of them, you know, you're kind of like, you you get through it. And like Justin's saying, you have a bit of indifference. You're not quite as excited to read the next issue and stuff. And I think maybe I had just read, you know, a two-parter that I wasn't quite hung up on. I think it was the one with the the astronaut guy who goes into space and then he turns into that big purple alien or whatever, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm perusing the story and going, eh, this is okay. I get what's going on and everything, but I wasn't, I wasn't exactly wowed by it and I was starting to get sleepy and everything. And then I'm like, well, you know, I'm finally close to the, the Q gambit. So, so let's read this first one. And it was like, like you're saying, you know, you come to the end of the page and there's the Deep Space Nine and you're just like, whoa, you know, and of course you, you, you know, at that point it was like any, any hesitation I had to like, oh, I'll pick this up tomorrow or I'll come back to this later. Like that was totally eliminated. And I just like ripped through like the entire, 
you know, six parts and everything, you know, right there. And I was like, this is great. So, I mean, for me, it was like you're saying, it was a real page turner. Like I was really eager to, to, to go through the entire story and everything. And I mean, there, there are other characters too, that uh, we didn't really touch on that, that all make appearances within the storyline. I mean, it begins with Q basically taunting, Picard, who's now a Vulcan ambassador, and it, it sort of ties into the idea that the, I, I don't know, w what's the word, like, what what do we call, like, the, I guess the pre-Abrams universe or whatever, I don't know what the terminology is, but basically it, it leads credence to the idea that that universe is still moving forward and people are having adventures, even though we are you know, also seeing new Trek as feature films and in these comic storylines and everything. So, uh, of course, if you're a fan of Star Trek The Next Generation, like not only are you pleased to see Q, but you're also happy to see that, you know, Q is still there and him and Picard are still having this sort of tit for tat kind of relationship and everything. And he's still trying to push Picard's buttons and everything. And of course, Picard's like, what are you doing, Q? You know, and stuff like that. And and basically, he explains to Picard how there was a divergent timeline and how he's going to go mess around with it, you know. And so that in and of itself was, you know, exciting to see for me. And that, you know, and I think he's also kind of imparting the knowledge onto Picard that Spock, you know, the original universe, Spock, is still alive in that new trek universe and that was something that picard probably wasn't privy to before so like it was fun to see picard i know as far as like all the deep space nine characters that are part of a resistance against the dominion like it, there were so many characters i mean you know you had Worf's brother as part of the klingon high council who turned out to be a founder in disguise you had keiko o'brien who was piloting the defiant you know and everything and, and for once she wasn't like so like shrill or annoying that i wanted her to like die like she i think this is the only time i've ever been like i've ever ever been like okay with her like you know, you know what's like... funny is that the way they sort of portrayed keiko o'brien in this gave me the vibes of when she was on the old spider-man tv show you know in the chinese web where i was like hey keiko o'brien's like young and cute and i kind of like her you know like that kind of thing and and like i guess by the time like we always say, by the time she got to Deep Space Nine, it's kind of like she was like the nagging wife. But it's like her and, and Chief O'Brien are both in the story. But, you you know, obviously they, there's more important things to worry about hey, than hey, you know, nagging you know, your husband, you know? You know, Chief O'Brien only married her because part of her name is Cake. <laughs> I've been uh, sitting on that one for a while. But uh, uh, no... That was weird, though. I was kind of like, wait. I was like, who? I was like, Cake? Uh, I was like, oh, that's Chief O'Brien's wife. Why is she flying? Like, I was like, what the hell? Did, <laughs> did no one notice she was, like, flying the, the Defiant or something? Like, what's going on? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, like, I, I just, like, I immediately, like, didn't buy it as soon as I saw it. But, like, alternate universe or no. You know, instead of, instead of uh, teaching students on the frontier and doing... A botany in the middle of the the turbo bays it's like she's uh she's captaining the defiant it makes perfect sense um so so the, yeah there's lots of twists and stuff in the the characters that you run into i mean some of the other characters we could bring up is you know basically when spock and mccoy get separated from kirk they're 
basically put into servitude for the dominion like they're going to be you know basically slave labor and stuff and that's where they run into everybody's favorite doctor dr bashir um i say with a facetious tone but but oh it, boy I mean, yeah oh boy bashir um but i mean you know bashir basically leads you to quark who leads you to Kira, you know, so it's like, you obviously like, I mean, I know I'm more partial to like, you know, Quark or Kira or somebody like that. But I mean, a lot of these characters lead you to other characters and, you know, eventually like, you know, Keiko and and O'Brien lead you to Dax and, you know, different characters. And and it was almost like, you know, a a very, uh, for me, it was kind of a nostalgic trip to just to see, all the characters from Deep Space Nine, you know, would sort of revisit them in kind of a new storyline and everything. And I, I thought that was really fun. And, you know, as far as um, Ben Sisko goes, I mean, again, like there's that that point where, you know, him and Kirk get into sort of an argument over what to do. And he he lays out Kirk and he's like, I'll apologize for this later, you know, and stuff. And they 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 they're sort of already on the run and everything. And that's when they end up going back to Earth and everything. And you find out Earth like Starfleet Academy, you know, uh, Starfleet headquarters in San Francisco now basically looks like, you know, Klingon high command, you know, like like the the Golden Gate Bridge has all this Klingon regalia and symbols all over it and stuff like that so there's that kind of tweak to the universe that you're familiar with as well and then you know bringing i guess gold ducat into it of course makes it perfect because i think you know what was cool about this was i think like mike johnson did a good job at capturing like q's voice like i really felt like i could hear John Delancey talking to Picard or Kirk, you know, when, when they're, he's sort of taunting both of them and kind of calling them out and seeing, you know, how they're going to approach like a no win scenario and stuff like that. And then conversely, I guess, you know, bringing up Gold Ducat, you know, I, I did feel like I could hear Mark Alamo's voice, you know, and, and maybe that's a testament to them being like some really great actors, you know, and, and it, and it maybe somehow it, it brings up, you know, even, you know, not to disparage it, but because I think this was like one of the best Star Trek stories I've read in a long time. So, so I, I, hopefully I'm giving it equally high praise, but I think the combination of those two things, you know, maybe it's based on the strength of the actors, but also I, I felt like the writing was done in such a way that he really captured their voice. So I did, I did feel like I could hear their voice when I was reading the series. Yeah, even though it's like an alternate version of Deep Space Nine, like no one was acting like crazy or out of character. Like you totally bought into all of them. And I think another thing, it's like, you know, the the Abrams Trek crew, they like seamlessly interact with the alternate Deep Space Nine crew. It's like you just kind of buy it. You know, sometimes you read a crossover or something and you like, you know, you're like, I, I kind of don't buy this. Like, there's something, you know, something feels off, you know, no matter what it is, like, you know, like Star Trek X-Men or something, you're like, well, this is kind of fun, but it's like, something kind of feels off, like, something about it feels wrong. But, like, this, it's like, you totally buy, you know, Cisco interacting with Kirk, you know, you totally, you know, you totally get, you know, Kira interacting with everyone. Like, it, it, it like, it feels like it could have been like a movie that's like that's like in my head i was like man like this this should have been like into darkness like they should have made this instead of uh, <laughs> you know that would, you know, yeah, you know that the, would, the only that would thing just I... be that would be too cool to happen basically 
The the only thing I was thinking was it was really convenient and and awesome that everybody in the story happened to be reading Kirk's chapter in the history book that day in class because it seemed like <laughs> everybody and their brother had heard of Kirk and it's like oh yeah you're the famous Captain Kirk and the Enterprise disappeared one day and yeah man we know all about you you know and it's like I get it like sometimes there's certain you know, figures in history that are well known. And I'm sure Captain Kirk would have been one of those figures. But at the same time, like it did kind of crack me up where I was kind of like, you know, wait a minute. Like, you know, it, it, it's like even, you know, Jake, when Jake Sisko shows up, it's like, oh, man, you're Captain Kirk. Like, I totally know about you, you know, and it's like it's just like everybody knew, you know, and it's kind of yeah. like, you know, it's like, my dad tells me about you all the time. And it's like you don't even know him. You know, it's like I don't know. But but there there was that aspect to it. And I, I don't begrudge, you know, it's like obviously it facilitated that level of, I think, ease or comfort that you were talking about in in the interactions between the characters and and i i think that what you're trying to look for is like sometimes things feel stunted or forced you know when you have a crossover and it's kind of like because you're a lot of times you're merging two disparate franchises together you know i mean we were just talking about batman and the turtles and there are things about those franchises that probably go together like conceivably they're both street level type heroic figures but then there's also things where you're like oh mutagen and this and that or you know that that kind of aspect to it where they don't always have total common ground so so there is that aspect of things feeling a little forced or stunted but i think because these are both basically star trek you know and 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 because you know johnson had such a good grasp of the you know, their voices of the characters and, and, and how they would play off of one another, that it, it never does feel that way. Like, you you never really... I mean, some of the, the plot contrivances maybe are a little forced, but for the most part, I mean, like you're saying, all the character interactions go by really smoothly. I mean, everybody seems to relate to one another. Like you said, nobody seems really super out of character just because they're in an alternate universe, you know? Like, it's like Quark is a businessman and when it comes time for him to sell everybody out to the dominion he does it you know what i mean like like and it's 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 not like all of a sudden you read it and you're like you know yeah it's a twist ending and it's a, a dramatic conclusion to the end of an issue but also at the same time in the back of your head you're like yeah that is something that that quark would do if the winds were shifting in the other direction and everything you know and and uh, you know and along those lines you know it's like kira obviously you know i, I knew the minute Golducott had captured the Bajoran tablets that he was going to break them. And it was leading to the whole, you know, paw wraith versus profit showdown type stuff. And so like you have that in the back of your head and it all seems to be going according to the way you're thinking of it. And especially when, when Kira's there, I'm like, Oh, of course the, the profit alien wormhole guy is going to choose Kira and the paw wraith is going to, you know, possess, Ducat, and then they're gonna have a big fight. But what 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 I thought was hilarious was Gold Ducat's just kind of like, no, fuck that! I'm shooting you before he even gets inside you. Like this is like we're not we're not gonna go down that road. Like I'm not gonna make it that easy for you. And I was like, oh, that's cool, you know, because it's like it's not like they're they're dummies about it either. They don't just even though it seems like that's what's naturally supposed to happen. The the characters can see that too, and they can do something about it, so they stop it. And then you know, I guess we can. I mean, I don't know if, if, if you want to go into, like, the, the final showdown and everything, but, I mean, eventually 
the you know it, it goes the way you think it would go and you know Ben Cisco is also part of the whole prophet versus paw wraith dynamic but what ends up happening is he cannot I forget does does Ducat kill him I'm trying to remember now cuz I'm like there, there's a reason why it gets passed on to Spock but I I don't remember why now yeah, I think Ducat like blows a hole in him or something. Yeah, right. right? Like, doesn't right. he? And then, and then at that point, then I think, I think he, you know, Ben Cisco like transfers it over to Spock and everything. And and Spock, being the the logical Vulcan that he is, you know, basically is like, oh, I know how to fix this because Q at that point has revealed like the reason why he keeps testing Kirk and all this stuff is because he himself, you know, basically he found himself in a no-win scenario. So his solution was to go to one of the most famous guys in history that was famous for beating the odds, for, for you know, basically, you know, you know, snarking at death and eating his apple and, you know, saying fuck off and everything. And, and so, like, that, he basically wanted to go to the, the, the no-win scenario expert and, and see what he came up with. And, you know, I guess ideally, you know, in the, in the context of this, it's kind of Spock who pulls everybody's fat out of the fire. But, you know, Spock basically bestows the prophet wormhole alien onto Q. And then now it's like Q's like super mega, super saiyan powered up Q, you know, with the power of the paw wraiths and everything. And it's just like the most awesome scene ever where he's like, oh, you thought I was omnipotent before. Like now I'm really fucking omnipotent. And he just like snuffs out Ducat, uh, you know, being possessed by the paw wraith. And then all these other paw wraiths who have shown up to from the, the wormhole to, to help out Ducat and everything, or at least sort of oversee his, his, you know, plans and everything, you know, he basically wipes them all out and everything. And, you know, by the end of it, there's like this funny little scene where, you know, the, the, uh, prophet powered Q comes back and poofs in to see Picard and Picard's just like, I don't even want to know, you know, he's like, just don't, I, I don't want to know, you know? So I, I, I thought it was great. I think one of the things I like is I think writers are kind of tempted to whenever they are dealing with like an alternate reality story is they're always tempted to like have a huge body count. And we don't really get that in this. It's like what Worf Worf is assassinated and then Kira dies and maybe Cisco and like yeah. and and Ducat and that like that's kind of it. And I was like, that's I was like, I like that. That's that's a very nice change of pace. I did, I did. I, as soon as Worf got knifed in the back, I was like, well, of course Worf dies like immediately. Like <laughs> it seems like you know. I was like, I thought I was like, oh wait, I thought this was Deep Space Nine Worf, not Next Generation Worf. Like he shouldn't like get you know beaten up immediately. Like he should have like you know had some kind of like fight in him. But show me your show me your Klingon snarl. Show it to me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And like at, at the end, you know, when the when the Enterprise is going through the wormhole, which which is like an awesome like image, you know, like the Enterprise going through the wormhole in Deep Space Nine, I was like, whoa. But then like I was expecting like you know a, some kind of like big space battle before the resolution, and we didn't get that. And Ducat even says that he's Ducat's like, you know, what do you think your little ship can do against me now or something like that? And I was like, well, that's cool. Like I, I like that they're kind of like. You know, basically they're like admitting and, you know, kind of winking to the audience like, you know, you know, you're not you're probably expecting this, but you're not going to get it. It wouldn't really make sense. 
But like, I, I think if I was forced to like, you know, say a few negative things about it, like some of the characters don't really get anything to do, or they don't get much page time. Like, Silu and Chekhov don't really have much to do. Like, they kind of help Spock and McCoy escape, like near the end. And then Judzia, like, she shows up, and she's like, hey, I'm not dead, and that's the last we see of her. Yeah, like, yeah, Judzia did get a whole hell of a lot to do. And, I, and my, after I read that, I was like, well, wouldn't it have made more sense to, like, have Judzia pilot the, the, the Defiant instead of, like, stupid Keiko? But, yeah. but then I was like, I was like, you know, it, it is kind of nice to see Keiko do something where she's not, like, driving me crazy, and driving O'Brien crazy, too, I'm sure. Did any of did you guys? I don't know if this is a, a, a. It must be like a thing in like the IDW comics. You'll have to tell me, Justin. But do you find it weird when they like write in Chekhov's accent? Yeah, I. I mean, going back to like when I first started reading Trek novels, like some of the original series novels would have Chekhov written with a Russian accent, and sometimes it would just be written normally. So, so like I'm still I'm still kind of weirded out by that, and like. It's like that, you know. You you would think that like they would like come up with something definitive, you know, like make it normal or like make it always, you know, like you know, nuclear vessels or something. You know, you think they would like have it set in stone. It has to be one or the other, but it always kind of goes back and forth. But but yeah, they they do the um, you know the vessels thing in the IDW series. It kind of reminds me of of getting into those arguments of like why why does Gambit have to. Talk in his accent as well, type thing, and it's like I guess I don't know. Like I, I always think of it as like because it's comics. I know that's like a stupid answer, probably, but like uh, comics inherently are a visual medium, and it's like one of those things where like they don't trust the audience to remember or know that Chekhov has an accent, so they sort of they phonetically letter it out for you on purpose so i mean i i i don't know that i i ever found that off-putting other than unless you you had a tough time understanding the the phonetics of it if that makes any sense i i was just gonna say like the first time i i like read it i was like captain what uh, i was like oh captain and like <laughs> like it took me at like a split second but uh, i was okay. like what captain what maybe maybe i'm just so used to it because i was like i was like oh he's like captain you know, like, I mean, that, that I guess that's how I read it. I, I don't have that, like, disconnect when, when it's phonetically spelled out, maybe just because I'm used to the character and the way they... I, I think they do that with certain characters quite often. I mean, I, I would think somebody like Chekhov... I, I, I'd be interested in seeing the, the examples where Chekhov doesn't speak phonetically, because I feel like more often than not, they usually do that. I mean, I don't know if that's just a you know, a, a, a stereotype or, or what, but I mean, I, I, I would go back to the idea that, you know, comics are a visual medium, even in the lettering, you know? See, like now in my head, I'm, I'm imagining like a comic scene where like Gambit and Chekhov have a, have a conversation. <laughs> <laughs> All the D's and dats. <laughs> and one other thing I thought was, I don't know. It's a it's a minor thing, but like I was kind of like like when Jake shows up, like you know, Cisco's all like my son Jake. Like I was like, oh, in case you don't know who he is, okay. Well, like you know, I, I feel like you wouldn't be reading this long if you didn't know who Jake Cisco was. So, but I don't know, just it's a like, mi- minor gripe. Yeah. Jake Cisco's like the Flash. <laughs> 
um, something I wanted to mention, like, you know, it, if you're listening and you if you've read this or if you plan to read it, like a similar comic that I always liked is back when Marvel had the license to make Trek comics, like one of the series was Star Trek Unlimited. And usually you would get a original series adventure and then you would get an unrelated like next gen adventure. But like my favorite issue was basically it's Trelane and Q they're playing this game of chess and they're kind of they make a wager like um they put Kirk in charge of the Enterprise E and they put Picard in charge of the real original Enterprise and like you know their their bet is like you know basically they think you know it doesn't matter like who's in charge of what ship like you know Picard and Kirk are always going to win and you have like some really interesting moments with like you know Kirk in charge of the Enterprise E and he's like you know, he doesn't know what a multiphasic shield is, so they like they get nearly destroyed by the Klingons. And you have Picard on the original Enterprise, and he's he's calling out for some kind of techno babble, and your know, Spock's just like, you know, what are you talking about, Captain? <laughs> like, but like it, it, it kind of this uh, Q Gambit kind of reminded me of that, where it's like it's a really fun kind of like, you know, trippy kind of odd crossover. So like, um, I can't remember what issue that is, but like if you. You know, if, if you're at a con or a comic shop and you, you're going through, like, the, you know, the dollar boxes or whatever, like, just kind of peruse the uh, Star Trek issues and see if you can locate that issue of Unlimited. There's also, like, the the novelization that Peter David wrote, isn't there, where they talk about how Trelane is basically a member of the Q Continuum or something like that, and then... The, the thing I was going to mention that I remember enjoying that is in some ways similar, I guess, just because Q is interacting with a member of the original series Q, or series Q, series crew, um, the, the original series crew, is the, the, there was like an audio book where it was like Q versus Spock. And so it was actually like John Delancey and Leonard Nimoy, like having a discourse, you know, in this sort of audio presentation. And they were just sort of having a debate back and forth. And it was kind of like, you know, I I guess it'd be tantamount to watching, you know, presidential candidates, you know, have a discourse with one another. But in this case, it was it was, you know, Leonard Nimoy as Spock debating John Delancey as Q. And I just remember thinking that was something that you know, obviously it piqued my interest again because of the whole crossover aspect. And, and I think the performances were a lot of fun too. So that's, I mean, if, if basically if, if Q Gambit is something that whets your appetite and, and you like the issue of Star Trek Unlimited that Justin's mentioning, I'd, I'd also recommend the Spock versus Q audio drama. Yeah. I remember you mentioning that before, like on one of our other Star Trek shows. And I was kind of like, man, that sounds cool. Like I got to look that up like someday. Maybe I will now oh. that you reminded me of it. It's issue seven. I just looked it up. Oh, Star okay. Trek, that, issue yeah, seven. That, that sounds cool too. Like, yeah, I'll have to check that out as well. Yeah. The, the, a lot of those Marvel comics, I, I have fond memories of like even the when when they did the whole crossover that ran throughout like all the comics. So it was like you had you know, Nog, who was in the Starfleet Academy comic, like, teaming up with, like, Captain Pike and stuff. Like, like all those things I thought were a lot of fun. All right, so, I, I mean, I guess that kind of winds things down as far as talking about the, the Q Gambit. All right, 
then, <laughs> then I guess what we will do is we're going to take a quick commercial break. We're going to play a funky, cool, fresh trailer. And then, thanks to the magic of timey-wimey, wibbly-wobbly, when we come back, we're going to give you our thoughts on Star Trek Beyond. Stay tuned. I'm Captain Benjamin Sisko. Welcome to Deep Space Nine. Red alert. All crew members report to battle stations. Red alert. Shields up. What shields? You're Starfleet officers. Now start acting like it. Oh, it's just Garrett. Plain, simple, Garrett. Dex, we might have just discovered the first stable wormhole known to exist. The wormhole does bring them our way, doesn't it? Everyone wants a piece of the new frontier. It's what you to become a leading center of commerce and of scientific exploration. Starfleet, one of our most important posts. Quite a motley crew you've assembled here, Benji. Listen to the Prophets, a Deep Space Nine podcast. And here are your hosts, Andrew Leyland and Paul Spataro. Bloody hell. Oh, I love a woman in uniform. Only on TwoTrueFreaks.com. Hey guys, welcome back. Justin, Mike, and myself have just slung shot around the sun in a Klingon bird of prey, and we are now in the far-flung future. We have all seen the 2016 feature film Star Trek Beyond, directed by Justin Lin and written by Simon Pegg and Doug Young. And we are here to regale you with our thoughts about Star Trek Beyond. So here we are. Uh, this is Derek, Derek WC. Why don't you guys give a shout out and let everybody know who's here, even though I've already spoiled it. Damn it. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> Well, I was going to say my name's Mike, but my real name is Khan. <laughs> and I am the highly illogical Justin. Pay no attention that I don't look like the other con. <laughs> yeah, you have a. You have... It's okay. We'll like we'll do a whole comic, and it'll explain that you had like facial reconstruction. Okay, surgery. good. Thank God. And, and 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 you have a Rhode Island accent instead of uh, <laughs> you know, a Latin accent. A fire. Well, if, if if that was the case, I'd be like Spock, Spock. Like, <laughs> hey there, hey Spock. You think you're so hey. smart? <laughs> So yeah, we're 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 here to discuss Star Trek Beyond. That's what we're going to be discussing tonight. I I actually watched this uh, opening like you know Thursday night show. I ended up you, you know what's funny just just to regale people with my stupidity is uh, I I bought one of those D box seats and I was just thinking it was like one of those reserve seats because I know some of the stuff I've seen the last couple times I went to the movie theater. You know, they have a whole theater of reserved seating. And then, you know, they were kind of like comfortable seats. And, you know, it was almost like you could like sleep in them, you know, like you could actually, you know, push a button and it would like, you know, it'd be a reclining movie theater seat, basically. And it would, you know, lean back and lift your legs up and all that kind of cool stuff. The only thing I thought was kind of strange about that was that most of them were kind of like two seaters or love seats. When the seats were, they're they're kind of like love seats almost. Like, and that's the only thing that I thought was weird is if like you sort of 
reserve a seat and, and you're just going in, you know, without a compatriot or, you know, uh, you know, a loved one or something like that, you know, like there, there's that opportunity to possibly have this awkward moment where it's like, it's not like there's not enough space between two people who aren't really, you know, that, that don't really know each other, but there's enough of a closeness that if like people are couples, they can like snuggle together in the two seats and all that kind of stuff. So it is, it is kind of weird on that end of it. But the D box seat apparently is like one of these things where you're supposed to like sit in the seat and it's supposed to like, engage you in the action of the movie where basically it's like a a ride or something you know like basically i guess when there's action in the movie it's supposed to like you know vibrate the seat and move it around or something like that and i didn't really realize that so like when i went in and sat down in it I, at first i was like this is really uncomfortable and then and then i was like playing around with the thing for a few minutes and i was kind of like oh i get it like it vibrates or whatever and i couldn't figure it out at first and then i just looked it up on my phone and was like, oh, so this is supposed to be like this thing that like, you know, moves with the action of the movie or whatever. And I didn't really realize that. And honestly, like the theater wasn't like super packed and I had still come earlier enough that even though I had a reserved seat, it's not like the house was completely packed. So actually what I did was even though I paid like the extra money for the D box seat or whatever, I just went one row up and like sat in a nice leather seat that actually sort of reclined and rocked back and everything. And I was like, I, I don't really care about the D box. I just want to be comfortable. So that's, that's my story of, of, you know, the ridiculous over expenditure that I spent to see the movie, but that's, you know, I just figured it'd be interesting listening. But what did you what did you gentlemen think of the the film Star Trek Beyond? Like, do you do you want to open with any thoughts? Did we like it? Did we hate it? Did we think it was okay? Like, what's what's kind of the verdict from from you guys? I liked it. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. It might have been my favorite one of the three. Cool, cool. I I, I thought it was okay. I mean, I I'm not gonna say it 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 you know was like the greatest thing I'd ever seen, but I also did not dislike it. I have no ill will towards it. It was entertaining. You know, I was engaged and stuff like that. I mean, I'm sure I'd have some, some quibbles here and there that we can get into, but I mean, you know, the cast was still the same cast and they were all really excellent as far as that goes. I think even despite any criticism that I've heard other people level against the the, the new Trek films, basically. One thing I've always thought was a strong point of the new Trek films was they always seem to find things for the entire cast to do. Whereas I know, you know, a lot of either classic Trek or even the movies, you know, th there was always that kind of tendency to focus on the, you know, Kirk, Spock, McCoy dynamic and maybe other characters kind of get left in the dust type thing. Or, you know, maybe they're just regaled to, you know, a comic relief bit or something like that. And that's the end of it. But I think, you know, again, in this film, Star Trek Beyond, you know, just like I think the other two films, to be perfectly honest, I think they do a pretty good job of using the entire team, per se. You know, it doesn't it doesn't fall into that trap of, you know, only Spock or only Kirk saves the day or whatever. It seems like it's always a team effort and that all these different cast and crew members you know play a role in the ultimate sort of solution of you know whatever peril or problem they're facing and i do appreciate that i think that's you know definitely a positive in the movie's favor yeah i, I was re-watching star trek 3 the search for spock a while back because it had been a while since i last watched it and i was i was kind of like man like uhura really doesn't do anything in this movie it's like she has a few lines in the beginning she puts mr adventure in the closet and then we don't see her until like the very last few minutes of the movie. I was like, man, she kind of like 
she really got shortchanged on that one. Yeah, yeah, like there, that. I, I think that's kind of what I'm referring to. Whether it's like a a Justice League scenario or a Wolverine and the X Men team scenario or whatever it is, but you know something like that where you know the character is there, but they they contribute a moment rather than you know to the entirety of the film and everything. And I mean, you know, obviously there is still the dynamic. There's still the friendship between you know, Kirk and Bones, and there's still the friendship between Kirk and Spock, and that plays a strong role in this film, but, I mean, it's not like Scotty and Sulu and Uhura and Chekhov and even, you know, some of the Ensigns and different characters like that. You know, even, I guess, you know, something we should bring up is one of the new featured characters, which is Jayla, you know, and, like, she obviously, you know, plays a role in the solution of certain perils and problems as well, so... I mean, I, I think everybody got a chance, you know, a, a moment to shine among an ensemble, which I think is not an easy thing to do. But I think in, in a film like this, it's something that you you tend to expect. And I, I think at least in that sense, that was definitely delivered on. Yeah, like I I, I was going to say, like, I really I like Carl Urban's like portrayal of McCoy. And like, I felt like he didn't get a lot to do in the last movie. So uh, like at uh, this movie, I definitely felt he got like more screen time basically like i remember like coming out of into into darkness and being like man like i don't even like aside from mccoy like synthesizing like the cure for you know kirk or whatever like i don't remember him doing a whole lot in that movie but i, I didn't have that feeling when i came out of this movie yeah i mean he, he plays a role you know when they when they land on the planet he's doing all kinds of, of doctorly stuff but then he's also incorporated into the action and flying around in those little b ships and stuff like that so i mean there's definitely yeah you know I, a, I, a role for him to play in I, I was cracking up at the end when like spock volunteered him for the like to pilot the right, ship right, it's like yeah. you did this on purpose <laughs> <laughs> yeah there, there were there were lots of funny moments like that like there was lots of good humor in it as well i think what added to my enjoyment was uh for the most part i managed to avoid like all kinds of boiler talk and discussions like i watched the trailers and like that's that's kind of it like i didn't read any interviews or anything and i just kind of went into it blind uh, i guess i should we should go ahead and say this you know like red alert you know after this like we'll, we'll probably get into some, to some deep spoilers but just like looking at like the trailer and stuff like i just i just assumed that there would be you know a saucer separation of the enterprise at some point and i was like well we've kind of seen that before but you know it's like during that battle you know, you see, like, the the Warpner cell pylons are, like, just completely cut off. And then the neck of the shit is completely, you know, separated, like, violently. And I was like, man, like, I, I didn't expect that. I just, I just, I was expecting, like, you know, just a, you know, something like Generations where you had, like, a saucer separation and a crash oh. or something. But that was, I was like, man, that was brutal. And, like, it kind of surprised me, too. I guess, I guess bringing up comparisons to other films, I mean, something that I would bring up that I, I thought was pretty noticeable is it, it does seem interesting that, like, if, if you go with the parallel of, you know, I don't know, like, the, the 2009 movie is, is the first movie or whatever, so you got to set up the origin and all that other stuff. And then when they do the sequel, they try to pull from Khan, which was, you know, Wrath of Khan was the second, you know, original Star Trek feature film. And in this film, you know, obviously it's not about Klingons, it's not about Genesis or anything like that, but there do seem to be similar elements. What what sort of surprised me is, you know, I, I think I knew that the Enterprise was going down from seeing one of the trailers or whatever, 
but I was kind of surprised that all that took place in maybe like the first, what, like 20 to 30 minutes of the film. Yeah. You know, like basically it, it almost seemed like they had a climax at breakneck pace right in the beginning of the movie, which I thought was like, wow, they really, I mean, they did not waste any time getting into that. I mean, I, I think that's the whole premise of the film that they're sort of, you know, stuck on this planet basically. And, and they, they have to, you know, make do with their, their wits and their wiles and, and kind of, you know, save the day from that vantage point that they're, they're basically grounded, you know, for the majority of the movie, that's their peril and, and conflict, you know? And, and the, what I just was going to say was that, you know, Star Trek three, there, there is an aspect of, you know, they do lose the enterprise, you know, so there, there is that parallel to it. And I guess, you know, as Justin said, you know, spoilers ahoy, but, you know, sort of tying it into other Star Trek films, you know, there's the question of whether Kirk, you know, at the beginning of the film, it seems like his arc is he's thinking of accepting a, a vice admiralcy position up at Starbase Yorktown, which is where they stop at the beginning of the film. And that sort of parallels the whole kind of arc he seemed to have from like what two through five basically you know that that William Shatner had where it was like oh he was an admiral you know in the first movie you know after the five-year mission and then you know by the time you get to two he's kind of questioning you know oh, I'm getting old like McCoy's telling him to get his command back and it's like all this stuff goes on and finally by the time you get to what Star Trek five and they've got like the enterprise a, you know, now he's finally back in the captain's chair and everything's hunky dory basically. But in, in this, it seems like they, they sort of sprinkle elements of that arc over like what five movies into this one movie where he's kind of like, Oh, maybe I'll take this vice admiralcy. And, you know, it, it was weird that opening too, because he was very, kind of despondent almost like there were, there was that first five minutes where everything was very like, we've been in space for three years. I, I enjoyed that bit where he was like, everything's come to feel a little episodic. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah they, they, they kind of make light of it in a way, but I mean, it was supposed to be representative of sort of like uh, a serious problem that would be echoed in the, the villain of the piece, I guess. So I, you know, and, 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 and in that sense, like I was like, okay, well that's all kind of, good and interesting and, and but it did seem to it did seem to reflect elements of captain kirk in previous films too that they were trying to i don't know string together or, or sort of incorporate into this universe speaking speaking of the villain like did you what did you guys think of like idris elba like i think like when i saw the trailers i was just like huh i was, I, I was kind of like wondering i was like why would Id idris elba like agree to like i guess be under all that makeup or whatever and like i i kind of guessed the game like midway through the movie maybe like i think when it showed that like he was draining people's lives and like slowly becoming like less hideous i was like what if he was like the captain of that abandoned ship or something and i kind of made that connection early on but like I think they did a good job to building to that basically. See, like like I said, like I, I must not have saw that that preview or trailer or whatever. So like I was kind of surprised when that that was revealed. I was like, wait a minute, you know? They kept replaying that little like footage from the Franklin. I was like, wait a minute, like that's that's Idris Elba, right? Like so he was. I was like, whoa, that's kind of interesting. I, I'm a big fan of the series Enterprise. So all these little 
nods to that. Like that was uh, that was a lot of fun for me, and I kind of liked it that the villain is he, he's a guy that you know they said he fought the Zindi, he fought the Romulans, and then it, it seemed like after that, you know he you know he was a Mako, and then they disband the Mako, and it's kind of like he, he spent all this time fighting. And then they're like, well, fighting's over with. You know, here's a starship. Like, go be an explorer now. I, I kind of got that he, you know, maybe he was one of those guys who didn't, who, who couldn't adjust well, like after a, after war or something. And then, you know, he, he's lost his crew and his ship, and he's kind of like nursing a grudge towards, you know, Starfleet and their expansion into outer space. So I kind of, you know, I, I thought that was pretty interesting. But as far as like... Yeah, I... I know that Scotty has a line, and it was the only thing I sort of took a little umbrage with, where he, he basically sort of flat out says, well, you know, oh, you know, Captain, the Federation is not military, you know, and all this kind of stuff. And I'm kind of like, fuck you, it isn't. It's fucking Starfleet. Like, I, I don't know. <laughs> like, I was just kind of like, I, I thought that was a little, like, kind of weird. But I, I guess to me, maybe if you want to make the distinction, like, maybe the Federation of Planets, when it incorporates all the planets, is not necessarily a military organization, but Starfleet is, in my mind, a military organization. Now, I, I understand, like, when they made the nods to, like, Enterprise and, and what Justin's saying, that, you know, he was part of the Mako and, and that there was a transitionary period and, and a lot of the space fatigue, I guess, that Kirk is feeling in the first opening few minutes is something that his character, it's, it's I guess they call the villain of the piece Crawl, but then his, what was the captain's name? It was like, I'm trying to remember what Balthazar. his name was. Balthazar? Yeah, it was something like Balthazar, whatever his name was. Oh, but like, Ed Edison Balthazar, I think. Oh, okay. Uh, so it's like, it's like Captain Balthazar, right? So like, but uh, he... It's interesting to think about because you can see why somebody would feel betrayed, you know, in, in a certain instance, you know, like some some of the, the scenes he has, especially with Kirk at the end, where he's kind of venting all his frustration to somebody and he actually looks fairly human by the end of the film, you know what I mean, because of the people he's absorbing. I mean, I, I think the the interesting thing to me was I, I, I looked at all the trailers and I remember people having, like, speculations of, is this guy a Jim Hadar? Like, what what is he exactly? Like, what kind of race is he? And all this other kind of stuff. And then I think by the time he absorbed the second, you know, those, those crewmen and then his face looked a little different, I kind of started to piece together, like Mike was saying, that, I was like, oh, wait a minute, like, his makeup is different now. He doesn't even look like he did 20 minutes ago or whatever. And, like, you're, you're like, kind of figuring out, oh, he, he looks different every time he absorbs a different life form. So, you know, I guess the idea was, you know, he, he started absorbing anybody who crashed on the planet. So, of course, he looked all weird and Jim Hadari or what, whatever kind of description you want to give him you know, because of the people that were crashing on the planet and the life forces that he was taking. And it's it, it's also kind of strange that, you know, obviously, like, that in and of itself is kind of a... I mean, I, I suppose you could apply some sense of, of Galactus moral ambiguity, you know, like, he is Crawl, so, he, you know, that's what he does to survive. But, like, there is that weird element to it where you're kind of like, oh, so you're going to prolong your life to carry out, uh, you know centuries-old grudge, but you, you'll also do it at the expense of anybody who crashes on this planet, you know? And, like, there, there's something inherently wrong with that, obviously, which is why he's, you know, the bad guy. 
but there 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 are certain I think um, there, there's certain stuff that that you could definitely see somebody's point of view, but obviously he went, you know, he he sort of fell into a dark place and and stayed there and and just took everything, you know, way too far. And it that doesn't mean what was done to him was was right, but it also is kind of I don't know. It's it it, it th that part of the the story. Like I guess if I think about it too much, like I I start you know kind of going back and forth on you know, what I think of it, per se, you know, like, there, there's something like, I guess, if you just kind of chalk it up to, okay, he's the bad guy, and kind of go along with it. But there's, there's some interesting conversations that him and Kirk have, you know, basically, like, he, he talks about, you know, how he was, I, I, some, there's the line about how he was raised, and he was born into, you know, I, I, I don't remember the exact line, but basically, like, Kirk kind of, retorts to him basically saying, well, you know, the, the era I was raised in, you know, we, we save lives and we try to save the most people we can, you know, type thing. And so there, there's definitely diametrically opposed ideologies going on, you know, between the two characters. Agreed. You, you want to talk about that, that evil cunty bitch, Kalara, who like totally backstabbed <laughs> them in the beginning? I was like, why didn't you shoot that bitch in the face right away? Like that's what I was like the whole time. I was like, shoot her. She's bad. Yeah, like she does. I, she seemed kind of like non-committal. So I was like, oh, they're probably setting her up to be like a bad guy, or you know, they they she actually like led them into a trap or something. So that was I thought that was kind of obvious. I, I kind of hated that the chick with like the alien face hugger legs on her head died. Like I thought she was kind of uh, interesting. Uh, yeah, like they stuck her in the the room to test out the the bioweapon and everything yeah that's too bad and it was like she was she was definitely like you know like she was trying to hook up captain kirk and and do the right thing and everything but then when she saw like sulu was about to get it too she was trying to help them out and stuff so yeah and, and it was it, i mean that that's something like i know you know a lot of times people criticize you know oh, it's just another alien with bumps on their heads or whatever but it was it was kind of like i thought the look was interesting and it wasn't anything we had ever seen in star trek before you know so I was like, that was kind of cool, and it was, you know, a way to expand the universe, but, you know, yeah, it is kind of too bad that she, she, you know, poor, you know, she wasn't a red shirt, obviously, but she kind of was, you know, poor Ensign red shirt, basically. Not even wearing a blue shirt doesn't preclude you from being a red shirt anymore. Yeah, yeah. I, w I was just happy that, like, Chekhov got, like, a lot of stuff to do, because yeah, yeah, this is probably yeah. that that kid's, yeah. like, last film, so, you know, and, like, everyone kind of in the audience kind of went, oh, when it said for Anton. Yeah, and that, yeah. And, yeah, so that was really sweet. Well, it seemed like it seemed like they, they sort of knew there was going to be a moment where they, they paid honor to Leonard Nimoy, but then it seemed like they also, you know, at this point, you know, they, they knew that it was, you know, also a good moment to, to pay tribute to um anton as well you know and it, yeah it's like it's one of those things where it's like it's tragic it's unfortunate i mean obviously he's to me he's been like a, a great Chekhov in all the movies and he's always had a lot of funny moments and he's you know he's had a lot of good moments but like you're saying like he he basically got to be in the a subplot with captain kirk most of the time when when they all sort of split up on the planet because it's like scotty kind of splits off and becomes part of like the B plot because they introduce the new character Jayla and then you know Spock and McCoy are in you know I don't know the C plot or you know maybe it's twisted around maybe you know McCoy and, and, and Spock are the B plot and 
Scotty's the C plot or whatever, but in the A plot, you know, it's like, and eventually all the plots sort of merge together, but, you know, you, you had Captain Kirk running around, you know, beating up this Kalara chick who's being backstabby and stuff, and, you know, at his side the whole time, kind of being a, a Robin to his Batman, you know, Chekhov's there, you know, helping him out and doing all the, the science-y stuff that, that he needs to get done. So, <laughs> I, I, mean, I was... It's kind of cool. I was like on the lookout for like I was like since Simon Pegg like wrote like co-wrote this movie I was kind of like I wonder how much cool stuff like Scotty will get to do like he probably like wrote it I was like I wonder if Scotty's gonna like be the save the day and like you know I I did I do have that notion and I did have that notion while I was watching it like especially when the heat crash lands and then the the ship falls off the side of the mountain and like he barely clings on to the side of the mountain and it's like you could tell that's just the dude like I'm going to write myself a cool scene where I cling to the mountain and shit and, and barely make it up and stuff. But then it's like, I think once he interacted with Jayla, then, then it started to tone some of that down where he was just kind of like, you know, obviously like she had to save his ass type thing. So it was like, you know, there wasn't too much of that. I, I, I don't want to bring it up in a negative light, but I, I think we've all seen that Axonar trailer, right? Where they, they, you know, it's like that fan made Star Trek production or whatever. And it's like, most of the stuff in there is pretty cool, but you can tell, like, I, I don't know. I've, I've always thought that the guy who directed it and produced it and everything, he he's one of these famous Starfleet captains in that piece. And it's just like, when you watch it, it's just like, Captain so-and-so was the greatest captain who ever lived. He killed, like, 50 Klingons and, like, stormed the castle and saved the girl. And actually, he saved five girls and they all had an orgy. And, you know, and you're just like, Jesus Christ, dude. All right, we get it. You're the best captain who ever lived. Can we Can we get on with the you know, like, or, or get away from the self-flatulation or whatever. But I, I, I don't I don't think that Scotty went down that road too much. You know, like, he, he obviously gave himself some good stuff to do, and it played to his strengths, and he, he was he was comedic in some moments. And, yeah, they, they tried to have some action interspersed and everything. But to, to be honest, I kind of thought, like, the script felt like, I mean, I, I know there were, you know, revisions and they talk about how they never read the original draft or whatever it was. But, I mean, it really felt like it was a script that could have been a nemesis kind of um, insurrection level Star Trek script, which is not me giving it too much praise. And, and it seemed like Simon Pegg and the other guy, Doug Young, like came in and sort of polished it a little bit. So, I mean, you can still see the underlining, like, goofiness you know like picard in a dune buggy kirk on a motorcycle like those kind of things but <laughs> i i think i think they 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 tried to polish it up a little bit so that it just kind of was more appeasing in general to like a mass audience well, it, it, at the very least like you know chris pine is a like you know like young you know in shape guy so i mean it didn't seem like too like you know out of place but no no i <laughs> i don't think i was uh, I, I don't think i was complaining about like that his age or, or that he could pull it off. But so, some of the stuff, uh, you know, th this is me delving into some of the stuff that I think I would, I would rate as sort of like negatives or whatever, but, and, and I did just want to bring this up briefly, but like in that motorcycle chase thing, there's a lot of shitty CGI and like, and like at that, the end sequence between Kirk and crawl or whatever, or crawl where they're like flying through the gravity, wind tunnels or whatever the fuck it is it's like that 
really did feel like to me, like, oh, geez, you, you know what I thought of when I was watching that? And this will tell you, like, exactly where I'm going with it. It was like, I was all sitting there watching that, and I'm like, hey, you know what? I never finished playing that one Star Trek video game, you know? And I was like, I should I should go back <laughs> and play that. And it's like, when you're thinking about a video game, when you're watching the movie, like, that's probably not, not, yeah. not a good thing, you know? So, so, like, there were aspects of that where I just didn't think, you know, certain aspects of him riding around on the bike seemed fairly realistic, but there were some where he was like, you know, it was clearly like this CGI thing put on another CGI thing, and it looked kind of hokey to me is all, which, which sort of broke up some of the illusion. It's like, it should have been like a cool scene where he just is like, Let, let's go ride a bike and cause a distraction and this is going to be really cool. But, it, you know, there, there were aspects of that, but there were also aspects where it kind of took me out of it just a little bit. Yeah. Um, like, going back to Simon Pegg a little bit, you know, like, I kind of had this same thought too. Like, I wonder if Scotty's going to get, like, a lot of more screen time. But then I was like, you know what? Like, in, in all the, like, interviews and special features I've seen of him, like, he doesn't seem like a guy who, like, has a big ego. Whereas, you know, the original version of Star Trek V Shatner wrote was, like, everyone turns against Kirk, like, even McCoy and Spock. And, you know, the actors were like, we're not going to do this. And they had to completely <laughs> rewrite it, you know. There's a big difference between uh, Simon Pegg and William Shatner, to be sure. What do you guys think about the whole thing they tried to play up with with Spock and Uhura and like Spock's kind of arc where he's sort of dealing with the news that Ambassador Spock passed away and stuff like that. I mean, I guess that was probably the best way they could have handled that. I mean, it seemed to be, you know, they incorporated it into the story. It didn't seem forced to me or anything. It seemed like they made it a, a vital part of Spock's character arc. And then the whole you know, it, 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 I mean, it, it probably sounds ridiculous, but but it's it's kind of what Spock says too, you know. But it, uh, it obviously seems like their their breakup was eminently logical. You know what I mean? Like like I, I get you you sort of understood. It's like obviously he has a, a lot of feelings for this this human woman and and loves and cares about her very much. But at the same time, he's like, dude, my race is nearly wiped out. I feel like a moral obligation to go make a bunch of Vulcans with like a Vulcan woman, you know, like that, that that's kind of what I got out of it. But, you know, like, and, and, and you could see why that would, you know, obviously McCoy's like, well, I can see why that would fuck shit up. Spock, you know, <laughs> and you're just kind of like, okay, you know, like I get it, you know? So I'm just glad that, you know, the, the scenes we had of Spock and Uhura together, and there weren't very many, to be honest, like a few at the beginning and a few at the end. It's like, I, I'm glad that, I'm glad Ahura didn't come across as just Spock's bitchy girlfriend. Mm. Because I kind of, I kind of got that a little bit from In the Darkness. Mm. So I, I'm glad it's like they, they kind of treated this as, you know, like a In the Darkness would be like you were in high school and you're having problems with your girlfriend. And then Beyond is like, you know, you're... You know, you're, you're like, you know, late 20s, early 30s, and you're kind of, like, more mature about things, so you're not going to, like, you know, <laughs> act like an ass the whole time about it or something. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess you could argue that that there is there is a certain aspect of damsel and distress being applied to her, but she also takes one for the team, too. I mean, obviously, like, Kirk was going to go down and separate the saucer section so they could crash land and all that other stuff. And she actually ends up being the one who separates it and gets stuck with crawl and everything like that. So she basically is almost like the, the, the main 
uh, POW with like Sulu and, and the other members of the crew that, that they round up and everything like that. I did, I did kind of think like, I, and I don't know, maybe this is just me. You guys can feel free to disagree, but I, I did kind of think like Zoe Saladin was, was fairly attractive in the first two movies and stuff, but like, I felt like, and I, I don't know if this is just supposed to be a reflection of, like, they're stuck on a planet, and they, you know, obviously they're they're going through a bunch of crap and stuff like that, but I, I felt like she looked a little haggard, but even before they crashed on the planet, if that makes any sense, like that that she's been through some, she's she's been through a little hard living since she attained stardom or something like that, but I don't know, I don't know if that's just me, like, you know, making shit up, like, I don't know anything, like, I'm not reading the tabloids or whatever, but it just looked like she had kind of, she kind of looked a little rough in this, like just in general, but I don't know. Uh, I didn't really notice, but like, uh, I, I guess I could see that. I mean, it has been what, like seven years since like the first yeah. one. So. Yeah. I mean, that, that's part of it too. Like that, that they're all a little older, you know, like kind of, you know, you know, yeah, it has been a while since, since the first movie as well. Now, what scene I wanted to bring up that I, I really thought was, like, really touching was at the very end when uh, Spock goes through, like, you know, old Spock's, like, personal effects and he finds the picture of, like, you know, the the original timelines, like, cast. Like, and, like, I thought that was a very effective, like, emotional scene. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, think, I think that plays on, like, a whole bunch of different levels, you know, because at this point, like, you know, yeah, there's the, the level of it within the film that ambassador spock has passed away and you've got this alternate timeline spock kind of dealing with that and and seeing his personal affections and everything but then because you have that real cast photo from like the era of basically like star trek six or so you know you you've got a photo of folks that you know at this point you know leonard nimoy deforest kelly James doing, you know, like like all these guys, where you're like, okay, well, all all these actors who were uh, a big part of your, you know, your Star Trek life, you know, are, are no longer with us anymore. So so it also sort of plays on that level where you're like, oh, geez, like you know, like like that yeah. that kind of thing of where, you know, I mean, I mean, sometimes you you yuck it up where you know it's funny. I was watching the the ultimate cut of. Batman v Superman with my dad, you know, and, and he's like sitting there going, oh, Jesus, I'm getting old. Like Diane Lane is Ma Kent, you know, like that kind of thing. And it's like, <laughs> it's like on another, on another level, you know, it's, it's kind of like the same thing where you're, you're sitting there looking at the photo and going, uh, you know, and this is not meant to be disparaging in any way. I'm just trying to sort of poke some humor into something that's probably like a somber thing, but you know, you're looking at it and you're like, Jesus Christ, like, you know, all these guys aren't with us anymore, you know, like that kind of thing where you're like, you know, and, and, and it does have another impact for people who are obviously fans and, and, you know, grew up with these guys as your heroes and stuff like that. Yeah. And I, I also like that, like, you know, you know, for Spock personally, it was like, uh, it's like, Oh, look at this. Like, you know, we get to grow old together and have all these like awesome adventures, like, you know, into our old age. Like that's awesome. You know, you know what I did think about that though? And I, I don't know if this was, like intentional the photo they picked but like i thought it was interesting that his whole arc is he was dealing with kind of like wrestling with the idea of should he retain this relationship with uhura or should he go you know repopulate the vulcan nation and if if you pay attention to that photo like spock's all the way on the left side and uhura's all the way on the right side and like all i could think of <laughs> is like it, it, that must be like a mind trip to that 
version of Spock if he, you know, obviously because there was never any, there there was never any romantic relationship between O'Hara and Spock in the original timeline. But in this, like, if you if you had those feelings, and then you you see like, oh hey, check it out, dude, like this alternate version of you never got with this girl, and you just kind of be like, huh, that's that's got to be you know a little bit of a mind fuck if you're you know, Vulcan and logical and trying to suppress all these emotions and stuff. He's going out of his Vulcan mind. So did you guys like Jayla? Like, what did you think of Jayla? I, I thought I wasn't going to like her at first, but I think I warmed up to her pretty fast. Like once, once she started calling, you know, oh, okay, Montgomery, Scotty, you know, and, and all that kind of stuff. Like, it seemed like they, they made her a bit lighthearted. They gave her sort of a tragic backstory and stuff like that. But she seemed like, she she was not going to surrender or give up or give in to any kind of self-pity party either. So I, I think all those things seem to endear me to this character who was, you know, fairly new, looked kind of cool. And, and, you know, it looked cool with the, the, the face paint and the, the makeup and everything. And she did a bunch of cool stuff with all the hologram technology. And, you know, so I... I, I and the music. And the music. <laughs> and the music. Yeah. Know what I was going to say? Yeah. Like, I was almost... Like, I, this whole week I've been hearing that Rihanna song, like, that ties into the film or whatever, like, oh, that's played okay. during the end credits. And for a split second, like, when they were going to do the thing at the end with the song, I was like, oh, my God, are they going to play, like, the Rihanna song? Like, that would be, like, horrible. <laughs> <laughs> but I was like, thankfully, they, they did Sabotage instead, so. Uh, I hit a wall! I was, I was seeing there. <laughs> He's like, the, like, the crawl's like, it's horrible! Oh! <laughs> I was sitting there during that big sequence where they used the music, and I was like, you know, it, it kind of reminded me of Macross, and I was like, wouldn't it have been weird if, like, they'd have played, like, some kind of Lin-Min-Man right, thing right, of yeah. that? Like, I I would like someone right. to, like, take that and edit it on YouTube or something. Giant hologram Rihanna or something. <laughs> nice. No, yeah, I did I did sort of have that whole Macross thought myself while they were doing it, because it did, it did sort of have have vibes of that as well. I, I did kind of laugh though. I mean, it is kind of hilarious that like Beastie Boys saves the universe, and they have that they have that that throwaway line where McCoy's like, "Is that classical, Spark?" You know, and you're just kind of like, "Okay, okay, like, all right, all right," but you know, I get it. It's fine. But yeah, like I I felt like this was the most like Star Trekky of the new films, basically. So like, yeah. You know, it was it, it was I guess it, it ironically it was kind of like episodic, like where I mean it, it's it's obviously like a big like you know life threatening situation, but you know it's it's not like anything like the last film I guess where you know uh, you, you're under the threat of a character like an, a main cast member going to die or something, or like the first film which is basically an origin tale. So like this seems like a you know just a Star Trek adventure basically. Um, one of my favorite things Tony Jackson ever said was when we learned the director of, of this film had did a bunch of Fast and Furious movies, like Tony was like, you know, Star Trek, we're going to Tokyo Drift across the galaxy. So, <laughs> and like, I, I think I always had that in the back of my head. I was like, I don't, I don't know if this guy is going to translate well for Star Trek because like, I, I'm not a, I'm not a car guy and I've only ever seen like two of those films. So like, I kind of had a hard time like imagining you know that translating over to star trek but like you know like i said like i all i did was you know i watched the the two, the two trailers that came out and like i went in knowing very little about the film and i was like 
pleasantly surprised and you know kind of like mike it it really did feel like the most trek of these of these three were you were you surprised justin that kirk didn't start calling spock the busta (laughs) the busta didn't go back the busta to vulcan to fuck shit up I feel like this movie sort of because I've I've seen a lot of sort of favorable reviews even from people that I know are either really skeptical or they're aware that there are those people out there who really really hated like Into Darkness and stuff like that you know the whole I'm done with this shit forever you know type people or whatever you know and 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 you know there's that kind of question is 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 beyond going to save the franchise is beyond going to make people super interested in it and to be honest my first impression is if you like the first two abrams films you're gonna like this one i mean you know like i said i think it's okay i thought into darkness was okay i didn't have a big you know hissy fit over into darkness you know like and and i do really like the first one you know the first abrams film you know and and so i think along those lines if you enjoyed those you'll definitely enjoy this if you absolutely despised Into Darkness, I don't know that this is going to set your world on fire, but I do kind of think it's like Transformers Prime Syndrome. Like, it, it's like you've already gotten over the shock and horror of the reboot and the, the Into Darkness stuff with Khan and all this other stuff. And I think a lot of people's gut reaction is, all right, they can sort of put all that aside and like watch this movie because it's not an origin movie. It's not butt raping Rathacon or whatever problems people have within a darkness. And so you just kind of take it as, oh, it's just another fun Star Trek adventure that I can enjoy. And I think most people are like, I think this was good, you know, and that that's kind of that's kind of what I'm taking away from from the film in its entirety. You know, it was it was pretty entertaining, and you know, just despite some problems I I probably have with some of the CGI, I think some of the CGI could have been better. But I think, considering that the writing was pretty well done with an ensemble cast, and that all the acting was fairly strong and competent, I mean, I'll I'll trade a couple crappy CGI scenes for strong acting and good writing any day of the week. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, totally. And, like, as as far as, you know, will this, like, re-energize Trek or whatnot, like, they've already announced there, there, there will be another film in this series, and they, they've said that um, Chris Hemsworth is going to come back as George Kirk, which I think is pretty interesting, because I'm, like, in my head, I'm, like, well, is he going to be, like, is this going to be time travel or, like, you know, an alternate reality, the mirror universe, or, like, you know, how, how are they going to do that? It's definitely appealing, yeah. Yeah, and, and I guess along those lines, they also said they were not going to try to recast Chekhov or anything. So, I mean, I, I think that was a question at the forefront of a lot of people's minds, but I, I think they made that fairly official, like, pretty quickly. So, I mean, I don't know if they're going to address it in the film or not, but, they, you know, it seems like Chekhov definitely won't be in that fourth installment. People were saying maybe they'd take that opportunity to add, like, someone from, like, the Filmation cartoon or something in his place or something like that. Well, you know, like, Eric's, I could see that. I, I wouldn't be opposed to the idea of if, if Jayla was on the crew in the fourth film. I mean, I, I thought she was pretty cool. You know, you know who I would like to see, like, take that position? And this will probably not surprise you guys, but, like, uh, a new Trek version of Ilea. Take yeah. them, human. 
<laughs> I like Beastie Boys too. Yeah, that's awesome. It's like, you must make me sabotage. Yeah, cool. <laughs> Who would you like? Is there is there anybody you could think of that you'd, you'd want to be like Ilya, like like specifically, or or just the character in general? Yeah, I don't know. And then it's like you know, if you cast some someone with a big name or something, it's like. Are you gonna ask them to shave their head, or you know, are you gonna like put a bald cap on them, or something like, you know? Right. Well, Eva Green's done it once, and and you like Eva Green, so. <laughs> Karen, Karen yeah. Gillum. Yeah, she she once she's done with Guardians of the Galaxy, just ship her over to, to New Trek. <laughs> Some, someone also suggested like Savick or something. Hmm. That would be cool. I think the next film will be it's like the last one for. Um, Chris Pine and Zachary Quinto, over you know, as far as their contract is concerned, and it's. I was thinking about this. I was like, you know, you you don't even like. I mean, you do need Kirk, but it's like, if the studio wanted to like make a wacky decision, it's like that they could like, you know, following my idea idea, it's like you could like cast, I don't know, Stephen Amell as Will Decker or something. Yeah. Like that. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. You have failed this starship. Stop competing with me, Stephen Amell. <laughs> My name is Will Deckard. I've been stuck on a planet for five years. It's like whenever they go into his office, he's doing that like like that weird like uh, pull up thing. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's doing he's doing his his routine workout where he like flips those. Uh, flaps or whatever the hell he does yeah that's awesome no i mean i i could see that that's kind of interesting i mean i don't know i don't know how well it would go over with the the movie going public but i'd, I'd be on board for that well maybe maybe in like 10 15 years they'll get around to doing like a new next generation movie or something with a new cast yeah yeah and, and then we've also got the the new the new tv show coming up too on cbs so there there's probably going to be I mean, obviously, I don't think they'll tie in together or anything, but, I mean, there, there's the opportunity to explore, you know, either, like, the future of, you know, that alternate timeline or, or the the future of, you know, the standard timeline and stuff like that. You know, that, that opening sequence that we didn't talk about too much with the little giant munchkin things that attack Kirk in the beginning, he really, he really sounded like William Shatner in that beginning I don't know what it was, but like it was like I was like, is that William Shatner? And then I was like, no, it's Chris Pine. <laughs> Doing a hell of a Shatner in the beginning there. I, I was like, if you've ever wondered what it's like to see Kirk fight fight a bunch of like little midget monkey things, like this is your moment. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I was like, he's fighting like popples or whatever the hell they were, like little yeah. or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was like, okay, they're gonna do like a you know a John Carter type thing, and then it was like it turned out to be a little little guy or something. Yeah, I was yeah, like, okay. Yeah. It's weird though, because I, I I sort of was thinking like, you know, when when he goes back to the the Yorktown and talks to Commodore Paris, it's like, oh, you like you are so you know. You're the right man for the vice admiralty job. You can do whatever you want, Kirk. Like you're the most awesome guy, and we're gonna send you on this mission, you know, for these people in distress. And you're the man, and everything. And all I could think of was he just fucked up that last thing pretty bad, right? Like he's been fucking up shit since we've seen him in this franchise. But 
apparently in the last three years he's done all these cool things in the idw comics so i guess that makes up for it or whatever but there, there was that thought that ran through my head where i was like really like <laughs> kirk's like i know i just wrecked your new ship but like uh, i found this old one so that makes this cool right like okay. we're even okay. i lost one i found one like that's how it works <laughs> Like, I also thought, you know, at the beginning, that Admiral said something about, like, their newest, most event ship was still under construction. Mm. So, like, in the back of my head, I was like, I wonder if, like, at the end, like, that ship will be the Excelsior, and they'll, like, they'll get the Excelsior or mm. something. Like, that's what I thought. Yeah, it seemed like they jumped right into Enterprise A, which kind of reminded me of, like, the end of Star Trek Four. you know? So, it's like, it seemed like they, they sort of plucked moments from a lot of the different films for this one. But, I mean, it did it did have that vibe of, I don't know if you've ever heard the comparison, but I, I know a lot of people sort of say, like, oh, all the Raimi Spider-Man films seem to borrow heavily from the first three Superman films if you sort of look at the, the vague sort of plot beats. You know, it's like the first one's an origin movie and a love story and that kind of thing. And the second one, it's like he's, you know, basically giving up his powers and, and, and is powerless and everything. It's like, oh, well, Superman was powerless too, you know, like that kind of thing. And then if you get to the third one, it's like Superman gets evil and like smashes peanuts in a bar, you know, and it's like, oh, the third one, you know, Toby goes evil and starts dancing like a lunatic, you know. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's like there, there's that 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 parallel to to the story structure and stuff. And and like in in you know my mind, I'm kind of sitting there going, okay, well, yeah, there's there's the origin Star Trek movie, and then there's the you know the the Rathacon wannabe film, and and now we've got the Star Trek three film. It's like, oh well, I guess we must blow up the Enterprise in this one. You know, like it was it was it seemed like, oh, I guess that's what you have to do in these third ones. Gotta blow up the Enterprise. And I mean, I guess in some ways, it's it's interesting that they brought up the Zindi because the Zindi and the Borg, like they they all seem to play a role in inspiring this group of villains too. You know, they 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 were all collectives in a sense. You know, and and kind of these communal things. It's just the twist is, you know, it, it'd be basically like you know if you didn't know that Locutus was a former Starfleet captain or something. It's like what you were Captain Picard. You know, like that kind of thing, yeah. you know. Seriously. All right. Well, I, I, I'm not sure. Does anybody have any final thoughts or do you want to go into like an awesome thing of the week or what are you guys thinking? I'm thinking Spock. 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 All right. Live long and prosper. We will go into our awesome things of the week. It is one of our proper shows, so that is what we are apt to do. And I guess, you know what, I'll, I'll go first real quick. I just wanted to give a shout out to uh, TJ Damon over at Quad M Productions. He was a guy who was kind enough to invite me on his podcast, and we talked about fan holes. We talked about history of comics on film and stuff like that. And as a thank you for uh, you know my time spent on his show, which was fun anyway, so I, I it wasn't anything I asked for or whatever. But he was kind enough to send me some some free print copies of his comic book series Enigma. And I just wanted to, you know, I, I know I've mentioned it probably before on the show, but I, I actually have read the three issues and everything. And I just wanted to give him a shout out and say I really enjoyed the read and they were a lot of fun. And if you're interested in any kind of comic book series that's kind of noir oriented, it's it's kind of a, you know, detective, you know, sort of film noir-esque type comic book. If you like things like, you know, Stray Bullets or 
Frank Miller's Sin City or, you know, th things along those lines, you know, maybe uh, Firearm, you know, James Robinson's Firearm, you know, it, it's got that kind of vibe to it where it's this kind of, you know, gritty detective type, you know, mystery piece and everything. And I, I think they were really, really good reads. So I enjoyed them. And if you want to check those out, they're available print-wise or digitally, and you can check those out over at quadmproductions.com. So I just wanted to give him a shout-out, and it was really nice that he sent those complimentary copies to me, and I, I really did enjoy reading them. So I just wanted to give him a shout-out, and uh, thanks, TJ. So that is my awesome thing of the week, and I'll turn it over to my fellow fan halls. What about you, Mike? Like, What was your awesome thing of the week? Um, just a couple Transformers toys I just got this past week. Uh, I got Titans Return, Sentinel Prime, and Galvatron. And uh, they're both pretty decent toys. I mean, the the whole gimmick of Titans Return is everyone is a headmaster for some reason. And, I mean, it's kind of, like, obtrusive, like, for Galvatron at least. Because, like, I, I don't, like, he has a Titan Master or Headmaster. And then, like, his, like, crown has to be this, like, stupid little mask that flips up over his face. And it doesn't really cover his whole head. So it looks great from any angle except, like... <laughs> any other angle except like straight dead ahead so but i mean otherwise it's a pretty like i really like the toy itself and maybe maybe some third party company will make a like real helmet for him or something but um i i did buy like i think i showed you and justin i bought like a custom like axe for him so he's like galvatron the barbarian and stuff so like yeah yeah Go yeah, I like it. Yeah, so like you know, they're both solid toys, so I like them. And I also saw um Batman versus Superman, like the Ultimate Edition, and uh like I liked it. It 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 adds a lot of like little fixes in it, like you know, kind of like uh fixes some like oddities with the movie's plot. And I mean, like you know, if you don't like the tone of the movie, then there's nothing for it, basically. But if you were, if you were okay with the movie, I mean, it's a massive improvement, at least on the plot side of things. So you know, that was pretty good. So those are my awesome things. Yeah, lead, lead lining, bitches, lead lining. Yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah, Ooh, yeah. it solves everything. <laughs> Exploding wheelchairs. Yeah, I don't think so. All right, Justin, how about you, man? Kick us off here. What what was your awesome thing of the week? So I have an anime called Beautiful Bones, Sakurako's Investigation. And this is, um, how do I describe this? It's kind of like a fusion of the TV show Bones and Sherlock. Um, like the main character, Sakurako, is this... Um, she's very much like Temperance Brennan on Bones. She's like this kind of like weird, introverted, like... You know, doesn't get along with people, and she's totally obsessed with bones, and um, like reconstructing skeletons. Like it's like kind of her hobby. She'll she'll go out and just look for like the bones of animals and and sometimes humans, and she'll like you know take them back to her her mansion and get like reconstruct them and put them back together. But she has this like you know kind of like a Watson type sidekick in this like young high school kid, and he's he's kind of like intrigued by her like he's obviously attracted to her but he also like he has a hard time understanding like how she can be so cold and uh, stoic and unflinching in the face of death because it seems like just just about every episode they'll be out like there's one episode where they're just out walking on the beach and they discover a body and you know the kid's kind of like freaking out he's like wanting to call the cops 
And Sakuraka's like, wow, look at this skull. Like, this is this is really great. Like, I'm gonna, I can't wait to take this home and like put it on my on my shelf. And he's like, what? Like, what's wrong with you? Like, we gotta call the cops. It's it's a really great series, and there's kind of like a little, there's like threads of another storyline going on in the background. Like, if you pay attention, and like, ho- hopefully, it gets a second uh, a second season because it was really great. And you know, if, if you're kind of tired of like. You know, typical like anime, like Magical Girl, or you know, fighting anime, or and you you want something different. Like I, I would recommend this because it was really good. It's it's 12 episodes long, and you can watch it for free oh, on Crunchyroll. Yeah, no, so that's, check it out. It doesn't seem like it's a huge time investment at any rate. So that's that's pretty awesome. I'm I'm always up for stuff that's not one piece sized. You know. All right. Well, I, I guess yeah. that wraps up our awesome things of the week. We thank you for listening to our proper Fan Holes podcast. If you have any comments, questions, concerns, or feedback, you can email us at fanholespodcast at gmail.com. We, of course, are on the fanholespodcast.blogspot.com. You can leave us reviews and feedback over on iTunes. We are streamable on Stitcher Radio. And, of course, we definitely appreciate all the likes and feedback that we receive on all the social medias we're on, such as Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, Instagram. So we hope you enjoyed listening to the proper show. Uh, Just be advised there are many other spinoff shows that you can listen to. We also have Fan Holes, Mobile Suit Mondays, Transformers Tuesdays, Toku Thursdays, Sentai Saturdays, and coming up pretty soon, there's going to be a brand new comic book specific focused show called Fan Holes Comic Books, motherfucker! Do you read them? So please look forward to that. And until the next time, this is going to be Derek, Derek WC, live long and prosper. Hey, this is Mike, and I'm a podcaster, not a doctor. And this is Justin. I'm trying to avoid the giant green space end. The giant space shining finger?